JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. More on that and the state of the Colts moving forward from ESPN.com. Stephen Holder joins us. So let me see if we're on the same page with this. People had asked me. Actually, I think they asked uh, one of our, our colleagues and friends, Zach Kiefer, about this Ballard Presser tomorrow at 1030 a.m. not being live streamed. And people were asking me if that is common. And I think Zach actually said it, it is not common. Normally it is. And then somebody had retweeted to me where the, the Colts at Colts.com will be carrying a live stream of that press conference tomorrow. Was that just misinformation or was that a change of heart? Is there anything going on beneath the surface there? I am not sure. I'm a little raspy, by the way, so bear with me here. Cool. But I feel fine, yes. so whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I, I, I got a couple questions about that as well. Uh, I just know that they are streaming it um, as as we sit here right now. That is the plan currently. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a wild time right now. <laughs> so who the hell knows? <laughs> I'm, I'm curious your questions. What what are the questions that you have about that? Uh, well, I mean about about the, the the decision to stream it or not. Or I was just talking about that. I was just saying I, I had questions as to whether they were or were not streaming it. So. Um, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you're asking questions I have for Chris Ballard, I mean, well, that's a long list. But no, I think at the right. top of that list, at the top of that list, I think um, I would like to get some transparency. I don't know that we will, but I would like to get some transparency on where he stood in the in the entire Jeff Saturday situation. Right. I mean, I think we know. And I think Ballard chose just not to say it, but uh, I would like to know what role, if any, you know, what say, what level of say he had in, in that decision. It doesn't appear that he was on the same page. And then where he stands now on Jeff Saturday. I mean, we know he's a candidate because the owner said so. All right. So Chris Ballard, as I've been told, is running this coaching search. It doesn't mean he is ultimately the guy pulling the trigger, but he's, He's uh, facilitating the coaching search. That's something I've been consistently told. That is what the Colts are telling their potential candidates who are interested in the job. So that's the official word from the organization. And, you know, I, I thought that was the case even before Chris Ballard, you know, press conference got lined up tomorrow. I, I thought he was here and, and wasn't going anywhere. But anyway, now beyond that, I, I think the other question, a, a big primary question is, what is his what what is his level of i guess um say in the major decisions moving forward 
it's very clear they have some big decisions to make. And it's also clear that someone else has been spearheading a lot of these big decisions lately, that person being Jim Mercer. So Stephen Holder of ESPN.com, a little raspy, but going through it here with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Hey, I'm laying is, it on the line for you, buddy. You are, man. I, I appreciate that more than you know. I mean, you could have just went ahead and decided you could have opted out like a lot of uh, the players did during the bowl season, but uh, you hung with it, and we, we certainly appreciate that. Where are you right now as far as going back a couple of weeks ago with Jim Irsay's words about Ballard moving forward? And, and certainly they don't have to say a thing because his contract's got a number of years still on it. So, you know, you don't have to say, well, he's, you know, he's absolutely going to be here because contractually he is absolutely going to be here. But where do you stand compared to what Irsay said in that recorded ESPN interview compared to where we are going into that presser tomorrow? Well, look, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of heat on Ballard. I, I think from the fan base right now, that is different, right? I mean, I, I think there have always been, some people with some questions, but there's never been this level of vitriol for Chris Ballard. I've never seen it. In fact, he's usually gotten the benefit of the doubt from the fan base, and, and I think that was appropriate for the most part in the past, uh, but, but the team is at a different place right now. So, so I think it, it'll be very interesting to see how he handles what I expect to be some pretty pointed questions. I mean, I, I think we had a couple of them in the last press conference, which is when Jeff Saturday was introduced, but that was also not a Chris Ballard press conference. It wasn't about him, and we had bigger fish to fry that day, right? So this is going to be all him, and, and I think that his record is much more, um, you know, I, I think under scrutiny than it has been probably ever. So it's a new place for him. It's not just that the team is in a bad place. It's that there, there are doubts about him personally, and I want to see how he handles that. I want to see what his defense is. Of that, and uh, I think it'll be very interesting. Um, I would say my overall impressions, by the way, I, I think of where he is. I think Chris, Chris Ballard is an interesting conversation. I know that that people don't want to hear it right now, and and they just want him out. I, I do think it's it, it's a little bit nuanced, right? And and just briefly, the nuance is this: if you if you care about this at all, as as a listener, the nuance is. Uh, a big part of a general manager's job is to sort through the draft, find talent, especially, you know, the, the non-obvious talent, you know, as you get past the first round. And he's very good at that, right? He's done a very good job of building the middle of the roster. And that's where your, that's where your draft picks are, right? The problem is that's not the only job. The, the other part of the job is to put, your, to put your team in position to win a championship. And, and it's hard to do that with the quarterback situation and with, I think, just a, a reluctance to go for it and, and make the big moves that maybe can get you there. I, um, I'm under the impression that I've had this for a while now, uh, certainly from the you know, midway through November or somewhere in that neighborhood, that you know, this organization, you, you're clearly, to me, you better be moving forward with the quarterback drafted of the future. I, I think you need a clean slate with general manager and head coach. Do you believe that? I think that I, I can see it both ways. Well, let me, let me back up. Yes, the quarterback, as far as the quarterback, let me tell you something. Listen, I don't know where Chris Ballard stands on this, and he's been gun-shy at quarterback clearly in the past, but he damn well better pick a quarterback. 
All right, I'm just telling you now. People will riot. I also do not think Jim Ursay uh, wants to hear any other possibility. In my mind, Jim Ursay is, is, has a one-track mind right now. And, and that one track is get me a quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I can't see any other outcome right now uh, in his mind. I, I can't see anything else uh, being acceptable to Jim Mercer. And who, who, by the way, has a lot of questions to answer of his own. But, but he is in charge, and I, and I don't think he's going to let that slide. I think he is tired of this carousel as much as anybody else. So as far as the, whether they need a new general manager, I think the question is going to be, has Chris Ballard learned anything? If he, if he has, and he's going to govern this team in a different way, he can be successful because then he can hopefully change some of the things that he's done that's gotten him in trouble and do the things that he's done well, continue to do those things, right? But I don't know. I mean, you know, for five years, he has been very consistent in good and bad ways, right? So I can't guarantee that he's going to be a different guy. But I, I do think that where we are, where things are different is uh, he's, he's definitely in a different place in terms of the owner's displeasure. And, and that matters. And especially, and, and they're also no longer just, uh, they took a step back, a big step back for the very first time, a huge step. And I think that forces you to have to govern yourself differently, I think, I hope. What significant changes do you think Jeff Saturday was talking about earlier today at his press conference? Yeah, good, good question. I, I mean, hard to know, right? Because the one thing, I mean, he said a lot of things in that press conference. The one thing he didn't do was get very specific about anything, which was a little frustrating. But, I mean, I get it. Like, he's, he doesn't want to paint himself in the corner, but it would have been nice to have some specifics. I mean, as the head coach, I mean, the kinds of things you can do that are different are – you know, you can structure practice differently. You can have a different schedule. You can, you know, I, I think have higher standards in terms of how you grade your players. They do grade them very specifically in, through every game. You know, those are the kinds of things that you can change. Now, what the head coach can't change is, like, you know, what's the talent level, right? I mean, those kinds of things. Uh, and and then there's also things that I think you – you have to rely on experience to really to really understand what changes are necessary, you know. And I and I think that's something that 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 he just you know look he just hasn't been on the job long enough uh, to check that box. He just hasn't. And do I think Jeff Saturday would be better in year two potentially? Of course, right? I mean, there's no doubt. Just because it couldn't be worse. Number one, I mean, my God, it can't be worse. And then number two. Yes, I get it. You're coming in midstream. It's very difficult to to make a, a significant change. But I, what I didn't, what what I wish he would have handled differently though is, you know, like he was asked about Steve Wilkes in Carolina going six and six as an interim coach, and how, hey, well, what's different with you? I mean, why were you one and seven and losing by three touchdowns every week? And his answer was like, well, you know, we were missing coaches, and you know, they've Steve Wilkes has you know, been with those staff members for longer than I was, all of which are true, but like, come on, man. Like that's, that's a bad look. That answer I thought was a bad look. You know, what's funny about that. I can compare things where, you know, oftentimes Ballard will get the, the benefit of the doubt uh, from some because of, of what he's had to deal with. And 
I, I'm not one of those. Um, I, six years to me is enough, and I want to see a seven. I think we've seen enough. I think mm-hmm. that has been a fair gauge. And you know, it's also interesting when you get from folks as well with, with Jeff Saturday. Well, you know, the one in seven uh, in this eight weeks, it's been an absolute mess. There have been embarrassing performances. So in the same light, I mean, if, if people want Ballard back, I, they probably want right Saturday back as well because you're handing out excuses to both that that uh, people are trying to justify right now. I just think this needs a clean sweep, and I think this needs a clean sweep from Jim Irsay. I think Jim Irsay needs somebody, and I've mentioned this, and this is really easy for me to come up with, but the, the Jim Harbaugh aspect is somebody that he trusts, somebody that I think he would trust to guide this team in the future, and he could step away and not be so meddlesome as he has, because that's also at the top of the list of why this season is a mess, and also at the top of the list of why Jeff Saturday looks like a mess right now, because he took over that gig, offered that gig, and took it when he did. If you start at the end of the year, we may be critical of the decision by the Colts owner, but at least you give Jeff Saturday a clean slate, and this way, it's easy for us to draw that conclusion that Jeff does not deserve it. Well, I will say this, to, to piggyback on what you just said, I thought Jim Mercer did Jeff Saturday no favors doing what he did because he put him in a position to fail. Now, he may overlook that, he being Jim Mercer. He, he may look past that and say, he's my guy. And, and who the hell knows? It's his team. Uh, he's, got, he's got a lot of money and a lot of power. He can do that, right? But, but he certainly didn't put him in position to succeed. Uh, I will say, going back to your original point about – you know, Ballard getting some benefit of the doubt at times, just Saturday not getting it. I, I think that's probably true. I think the reason at times, I can speak for myself, I think the, if, if you hear me do that at times, I think it boils down to uh, track record. And the track record overall for Ballard, I get, you know, over the six years, wins and losses, it ain't good. I'm just saying he has some very specific successes that we can point to, right? And I can say he did this, yeah. this, and this, and here's why he's good. I can't say that about Jeff Saturday, right? I, I cannot say that. Now, that being said, I will say this. If you want to make the argument, anybody, not you, but if the argument is that this team's in a bad place and they just a results-oriented business or being a results-oriented business, you need to reset it and start over, there's really no counter-argument for that, right? If that's the basis for the decision, I don't have a, I don't have a counter-argument for that. That's a very viable um, position to take, and it is it is very fair and and also very accurate. Hey, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. 10.30 a.m., that's coming up tomorrow morning, the Chris Ballard presser, which was originally slated not to be live-streamed, and then now it is, and we don't know if there's anything going on there or not, but in a season like this, you kind of start thinking, well, what's really going on here? And I'm assuming that those questions will be answered at some point coming up tomorrow after 10.30. Is any of this at all financially driven from Jim Irsay? Does he want to keep Ballard because he doesn't want to have to pay the remainder of his contract and then pay another general manager and pay a head coach not to coach and pay another head coach to coach? Is any of this financial? Because, again, very easy and simple for me to say with somebody else's money. But if you're Jim Irsay and you've been very loud and very proud about financially what you're going to give to have a winner here, that doesn't float. Yeah, you know, I'll say this. Look, I think that every decision has a financial element to it, 
right? Because you better believe if they made the decision to fire Chris Ballard and, and when they made the decision to fire Frank Reich, you better believe they knew down to the dollar, down to the penny, okay, what it would cost them because that matters. Money matters a lot, all right? You don't get into a billion-dollar business if money doesn't matter to you. It, it, damn right it matters. Uh, so is, there, is it driven by money or is, or is money just a component? That's the harder question. I don't think it's driven by money. I do think it's always an element, as I said, probably not driven by it. Uh, but I, I do think it's, it's a little more – um, a little more complicated than that. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it boils completely down to money. Do you think that? Well, I guess this is a two-parter right here. Do you think that they're going to team-wise have to get up? And this is, I guess, under the assumption that the top two quarterbacks, in their eyes, like it is in a lot of others right now, would be Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Do you think that they could get up? Do they have enough to offer to get up to secure one of those guys? And, again, this is assuming these guys are at the top of their list. And, again, if they're not, I don't know what the hell they're watching, but whatever. I mean, clearly they watched Matt Ryan on tape last year and decided after 90 minutes that he was going to good. They have a good season. That didn't work out. But whatever they're watching, uh, let's just say for the sake of the question, they have to get up to get one of those two quarterbacks. You think they have what is going to be necessary to do that? Well, they're they're going to have to tap into future resources to do it. I think you know I'm talking about a future first round pick. Um, going from four to, I mean, here's the argument: Do they need to get to number one? I, I mean, I I think that's probably what we're talking about because they're not Houston's not trading them their pick, right? And you know they don't do business together. And then you know what's the point of going to number three? I, you know, I don't I don't know that that accomplishes very much. So are we, you know, if we're talking about going to the number one pick, you're talking about a really aggressive move. Now the kind, by the way, that Chris Ballard has never, ever, ever, ever made. And so it's going to be very interesting. I mean, he's going to break out in a cold sweat before he pulls the trigger on something like that. You know what I mean? It's just, even if, even if it's, it's mandated or recommended or he knows it's the right thing, whatever. Right. I mean, it's going to really be difficult for him to pull the trigger on that just because, we know Chris Ballard's way. Uh, with draft picks, um, more is always his preference. And, and and they have already mortgaged some future picks in you know the last couple of years. Certainly the, the Carson Wentz trade. But I, I think this is a situation where you got to do what you got to do if it, if it comes to that. Let's let, let's let the landscape play out a little bit, right? You know, we, it's still early. We don't know what the analysis of these guys is ultimately going to be. It always changes dramatically between now – uh, and and say March, you know, as we get closer. But I, I will I will leave you with this. Um, Ballard has he's a Big Ten guy, okay? He's a Big Ten guy through and through. Played at Wisconsin. Uh, he he has drafted tons of Ohio State players. Um, for me, if I'm predicting, and I'm, he didn't tell me this. This is just me reading between the lines. I th- I think that Stroud would be his guy. And also another reason. I mean, if we're talking about between those two guys, right? And the other element here, this is strictly hypothetical, just me talking, okay? Let me be very clear. The other thing to consider here is Bryce Young's size is of some question. And Ballard is a huge, huge, huge measurables guy. You know what I mean? Like for him, measurables matter like a lot. So I think his Big Ten ties, Ohio State ties, 
and the the knock on Bryce Young or one of them being his size, I think it tilts it for Chris Ballard to C.J. Stroud. So that's my theory. It seems kind of tough unless we're talking about, you know, being able to, A, part with existing players, like existing higher-level rostered players for the Colts right now. It's hard to really think about them having more than others that may have designs on getting up to number one to do the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what helps them is they're already at number four. So they don't have far to go. So that helps. I mean, if you're, I don't, I'm not looking at the draft board right now, but I mean, if you're, if you're ninth or 10th or 11th, you know, you got to give up more, more assets to get where, uh, to get into the range where the Colts already are. So, you know, and if you, if you're the bears, for example, Oh, by the way, Ryan Poles and Chris Ballard, you know, uh, they have history. So that, you know, the, the bears general manager. So that's another little tidbit to, to keep in the back of your head. Uh, the Bears got the number one pick. So to get from, to, if you're the Bears, who presumably will not pick a quarterback, um, going down to number four is very palatable. I, I think that's palatable for, for a team like the Bears because you're going to pick up assets. Uh, there's no like pressure for them to win the Super Bowl right now. People get that they are rebuilding. So I think for them, uh, it's a very viable thing to consider. And, uh, and, and again, for the Colts, they're already within range. So while they maybe aren't a team that, is, uh, that bends over backwards to give up assets, um, they're in better position than most other teams. Do you expect Jim Mercer to say anything anytime soon? You know, um, not if the team – not not if the team officials can do anything about it, no. <laughs> but as we know, uh, he doesn't need his staff to facilitate him talking, okay? And so, listen, uh, I got a call from the man on Thanksgiving afternoon, okay? So, like, if he's got something to say, he's going to say right. it, damn it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, um, yeah, I mean, anything anything you do right now is, is going to be met with a great deal of criticism. I, I mean, really – there's not a lot he's going to be able to do right now. In the court of public opinion, after six years, I think moving on there um, probably would, you know, make some folks feel better about the direction of the organization. I, I just, I'm just kind of curious when, at what point results do actually matter, I guess. Because right now, if you're intent on moving with what you have, it, it doesn't seem like results-driven is exactly the path you're taking here. No, I mean, I, I, I do think that in the grand scheme, even though I think there's, there's an argument that they didn't accomplish anything by firing Frank Reich when they did, I mean, if they had done it today, I would have shrugged, right? But, um, but even, even, if, even if you take that position, and I do think that, right, I think it didn't accomplish very much. Uh, I, I would say, though, that it was, if you're talking about results mattering, I think that is a great example of results mattering a lot. And the fact that the owner was dissatisfied. I, I mean, it doesn't mean he made all the right decisions as a result of that, right? As a result of, of feeling that, uh, that things were not progressing. But it does display, uh, I think, some, some frustration with the situation and, and a, a, a need and a willingness to do something about it. So, so I think that that's 
says something about, you know, what he's willing to put up with and, and, you know, what the expectation will be moving forward. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, and <laughs> I can't wait till tomorrow to find out. You probably won't find out entirely the feeling there, but obviously yeah. with the owner just saying, all right, you sit down, I'm going to make this decision. And you go back to that, that initial press conference when they brought Jeff Saturday in and, you know, to take that picture, Jim had to ask Chris Ballard twice to come up there to get into the picture. It certainly seemed like he wanted absolutely zero to do with the decision that was being made at the time. And, and granted, I kind of understood, too, because you look at the talent of this team and anything talent-wise that Chris Ballard has had his hands on um, has gone really – wrong here and I, I know you can point the finger that well you know Grover Stewart that's great or whatever but it, there's not been enough on this team to really look at oh wow uh, it, what he's doing the decisions he's made the player personnel uh, the crafting of this roster there's really no place to point to right now where you feel good about any of it other than your free agent place kicker I guess I mean it's it really well, is look, that bad I, I, I would say this for people so like if you want a glass half full glass half full assessment mm-hmm. of things. And I'm a, this might be a stretch. Okay. Bear with me. <laughs> but if, <laughs> if, you, if you think about next year, right. And you're like, man, I, I just don't see a way out because I think that's a very valid argument right now. The argument would be, all right, let's see if JT is still JT next year. Right. Uh, this year was, that's one thing, but let, let me start by saying this before I go into individuals. This year was a perfect storm. And by that, what I mean is, so key players get hurt, right? JT's hurt, I think, half the season. Uh, Shaquille Leonard, right? I mean, I, I, I mean, take it with a grain of salt, but he said some very positive things today. I think the second surgery is taking hold better than the first. We'll see what happens, right? But, but I mean, we got a long way to go before we know where the hell he is, right? But, anyway, this year was a perfect storm. JT, Shaquille Leonard, two of the best players in the entire NFL. They don't give them anything for the most part. Um, your offensive line, which is the bedrock of the entire team, awful. Then you have the quarterback you were relying on. That didn't work. And so I, I think if you, if you take any team in the league and you, and you, you kind of hit their strengths and, and they get that kind of production from their strengths, they are going to suck. Suck. And that is what happened to the Colts this year. So the flip side of that is, if any of that gets corrected, okay, if any of that gets corrected, they now have the chance to be a viable team. But there's a lot of ifs, maybes, and shoulda, woulda, couldas in there, and we got a long way to go. All right, you consider it all that the Colts and Jim Irsay, in this case it would be Jim Irsay, would have a level of interest that reportedly a couple of the other teams in the NFL with coaching vacancies have moving into this search. Uh, you mean in terms of how attractive the job uh, might in be? Terms of, yeah, in terms of Jim Harbaugh, too. That's, that's okay. like at the top of my list type of guy. And, you yeah. know, people have dismissed that because, I mean, he kind of dismissed it, kind of, not entirely, but kind of dismissed it himself last week. Um, right. I, I think that's, that's where you start with all of this right now. Am I wrong with that? Do you think that they will, they will go hard after it, or will that be somewhat of an afterthought in this search? I mean, look, they have a, they have a, um, a history of, of going after the big fish. I mean, you recall in, I think it was 2016, maybe, when, when Chuck Pagano was a lame duck. And 
and didn't have a contract. And that last day, or excuse me, that Monday after the season, who were the Colts on the phone with? And we know this as a fact now. They were on the phone with Sean Payton's people. Okay, Sean Payton was was also um, you know dealing with a contract matter in New Orleans at the time, and and was probably looking for leverage. Okay, let's be honest. He was probably looking for leverage and found it because he ended up signing a new contract. But the point is, the Colts were in touch with him and, and were, were talking about predict, you know, potentially bringing him on. So, you know, the last couple of times they have shot for uh, a head coach, they, they have shot big. Um, I think even the last coaching search, I mean, Josh McDaniels, I didn't, that didn't work out. And, he, and I didn't love him as a candidate anyway, but he certainly was was a big name candidate. They they interviewed Mike Vrabel. Matt Nagy was the all the rage at that time as well. That didn't work out in Chicago, but at the time he was a very highly sought after candidate. They interviewed all the, the like the top candidates at the time. Now the difference here is I, I do think the Colts as an organization though, they might be in a different place. And, you know, that was a team that not only had draft capital but had, you know, tons of uh, cap yeah. space and and had an, a franchise quarterback who was on the mend. I mean, this is a different and an, and an owner that was viewed in a different way too. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's yeah. true. And I think that matters. I mean, um, I mean, ultimately, there's only 32 of these jobs, right? Look, I will tell you personally, I've gotten calls from coaching agents who whose clients want this job. Now, at the same time, you work all the angles, man, because there's only 32 of them. <laughs> okay, but. At the end of the day, you know the the the, the coaches, the candidates who have uh, who have options, uh, they are going to heavily consider their other options. I think before they uh, consider the Colts, frankly. Yeah, it's uh, Stephen Holder. I would plan hurt today. <laughs> On ESPN.com. Yeah. Yeah. 10.30 tomorrow morning, he's going to be a part of it. And apparently that will be live streamed at Colts.com. Chris Ballard in his postseason presser again, 10.30 a.m. We'll see what's going on out there. Steven, I appreciate you more than you know, man. And uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Little musty TV tomorrow. See you then. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is Jay Query for the morning show. Kevin and Query, weekday mornings here on The Fan, again on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So, what do you think? I have said... Enough is enough. Go out and do what is necessary to get back what you want in your golden era if you're Jim Irsay. So I maintain if you want to keep Jeff Saturday around in some capacity, do it. Just not as head coach. I maintain that you go someplace else for your talent evaluation, meaning after six years, enough is enough for Chris Ballard. And I maintain that if... Everybody talks about how you want and will go as far as it takes to get a winner. Go out and get Jim Harbaugh and bring Jim Harbaugh here. All right? I know it's easier said than done, but we'll start right there and let you play off of that. What say you? First off, John, thanks for having me on. Secondly, absolutely best wishes to Colton uh, for his family. You know, I know that that's – 
a stressful time. I always yes. try to remind myself before family or loved ones go in for a procedure like that, that the people that are doing that heart procedure tonight will be at dinner with their family or going to a movie or whatever else, because to them, they do this all the time. And this is something that if they're in that position to perform that on Colton, that means they're the best at what they do. And so therefore everything's on his side and we certainly hope for the best. And, um, you know, I know what that all is like. So best wishes to him. Um, as for the Colts, let me begin with this. I, I saw today that apparently in the locker room, several players started talking up Jeff Saturday and making their case for him and talking about how he's a great leader and he should be given another chance. And I love Jeff Saturday. I mean, I like him as a guy. I like him as an individual and, and first-class human being, no doubt about it. And, I, you know, maybe he knows – he certainly knows football better than I, but – uh, if I'm looking at it from the outside, I'm, which I am, I'm looking at it and going, I think it's great that the locker room wants Jeff Saturday around, but why didn't they show that in the last eight weeks? Because if he's a great leader, they didn't do a very good job of displaying that because uh, the last couple of weeks in particular, they, they look totally checked out. And maybe somebody should have reminded them that that's what they were playing for. You know, maybe somebody should have reminded the Colts that talking about it's one thing, but but get out there and do it, right? Because they certainly didn't. Other than the Vegas game, you know, I mean, they in the second half of games, they looked completely lifeless. Um, I think Ursay's at, at an interesting crossroads here because I think there are probably a yin and a yang pulling at him. Part of it is what he knows is the best to help his franchise win, which is to go out and get his guy, whether it be Harbaugh, or, I mean, I don't personally believe a Sean Payton would, would come here, but, you know, if that's what he wants, pony up the money, he's got it, and go out and get his guy and show that, that put his money where his mouth is. Otherwise, I think it's no coincidence, as I've told you before, just my opinion, but I think it's no coincidence that typically, since Jim Irsay has really corralled control back of his franchise, that most of the guys in position are guys that are getting their first opportunity in the NFL via Indianapolis because that means that Jim Irsay has influence and has say. And you bring in a Sean Payton or a Harbaugh and the things like the owner all of a sudden making quarterbacking changes aren't going to last very long because those guys will say, I don't need this. So I think that's the yin and the yang here. Does he want to do what's best to help his franchise win or does he want to do what's best to help him stick around? and that, or, or not stick around, but stay involved. That's going to be interesting to me. He's the owner. He's always going to be involved, but you know what I mean by that. Yeah, so tomorrow, and I mentioned Jay Query joins us. Chris Ballard's got his 10.30 a.m. press conference going, media conference, I should say. It's not going to be live streamed. And I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Does that mean anything? And I, I think I mentioned to you last week it was, right? I was at Buffalo Wild Wings in Columbus. And, you know, compared to what Jim Mercer had said a couple of weeks prior on that ESPN interview where he had solidified Chris's return, um, last week I, I wasn't so sure. Do we, do we read anything into that coming up tomorrow at 10.30 a.m., or is it nothing at all? That's a good question. Um, you know, certainly there's precedent. If I'm not mistaken, and I'd have to go back. Kevin was talking about it this morning when we had Mike Chappell on. I mean, when Ryan Grigson was ultimately not retained, it was a while after the season had ended. 
Right. Uh, I think Chris Ballard's going to be back. I mean, I don't think I, – I think now I'm probably more convinced of that than ever. Um, so, you know, in terms of the timing of when he's going to talk and what he's going to say, I, I don't anticipate him saying anything groundbreaking other than – it is my hope just because of the the fragile nature with the fan base of, of where the franchise is right now. It's my hope that he doesn't get defiant and that he doesn't get defensive and that he shows a little bit of humility. I don't think that would be an altogether bad thing. I don't think Chris Ballard's a bad guy. I don't think Chris Ballard is terrible at his job. I don't think he's elite at his job either. I think he probably has the ability to be that, but I think he needs to quit acting like he is. And I think that would go a long way with a fan base that right now, even though people aren't going to like quit going to games and that kind of thing, but the biggest thing that you want to avoid if you're a franchise is fans getting checked out. And I think some of them are, are teetering towards that. Well, it's, it's that and the fact that um, I mentioned this at the outset, Jake, that they're a laughing stock. That team in that franchise right now is a laughing stock. And, you know, people laugh about it, make fun of it nationally. People are laughing about it around here. And that's what I would have probably been more offended by, certainly if I was closer to the organization or within the organization, the fact that you were a punchline yesterday, the fact that people expected that to take place against Houston yesterday, that's what I would be most offended by because, let's face it, that's what you are right now. That's what you are. What we witnessed yesterday, what we've seen in the past eight weeks, what we even saw at the start of the season, this four-win season, this is what you are. And it's more of a, a sense of humor aspect for local fans more than it is anything else. And to me, that's a disaster. And you can see that right before you. You know, it's hard for me to realize, John, I do a morning radio show. You do an afternoon radio show. We talk a lot about teams within the division. And now we're talking about the playoff teams. And, you know, obviously the great story in Buffalo with DeMar Hamlin flying back to Buffalo today and the Bengals and they're the best team in the league right now and Kansas City being the you know probably the best team and etc cetera, etc cetera. we don't talk much in the mornings about the New Orleans Saints we don't talk much about the Carolina Panthers and those franchises in the grand scheme of things are fairly irrelevant by today in, in today's NFL that can change obviously pretty quickly it is very surreal for me to think that the Indianapolis Colts have become that. The guys doing the morning and afternoon sports talk shows respectively in Nashville and Charlotte and New Orleans and Sacramento, they don't care about the Colts. They don't talk about the Colts. It's totally That franchise is totally irrelevant to them. And for a franchise that has been in the upper quartile of upper quartiles for a quarter century now, um, that's got to hurt. That's got to hurt. And if I'm Jim Irsay... That's a hard pill to swallow, but that's the reality of it, John. And that's totally weird for me to say that, you know, it used to be, you're like me, it used to be that we would get phone calls from radio stations around the country that wanted to talk about the Colts and preview the Colts game or talk about the latest happenings within the franchise. Now the only time anybody asks is when it's a team they're playing that week because nobody else cares. And that's a hard pill to swallow. What do you think needs to be done? I mentioned, you know, Jeff Saturday talked about sweeping changes. And he's right, but it's with head coach and general manager, to me, um, among those sweeping changes. 
what do you think is necessary for this team? And, and not only to get back on the right path, the right course, but to, to give a sense of believability to, as you mentioned, a fan base that has seemingly either joked about this franchise now or checked out. I think what's necessary is for a general manager, whether that be Chris Ballard as he, you know, finds some success or whether it be one from outside the building. I think what is necessary with this franchise, really with any franchise, is to have the general manager or team president or whatever title you want to have, have the highest ranking official that is not part of ownership, have total autonomy, and have the owner step aside and trust whoever it is that they're hiring to run the franchise to run it without interruption. And that is not a knock directly at Jim Irsay. I would say that regardless, I would say that about the Pacers. I would say, you know, whatever it might be. Jim Irsay has been around football his whole life. I understand and respect that. And I think he does know the game more than most owners. I understand and respect that as well. So it's not an indictment on his knowledge of the game. It's an indictment on what happens within any business when the person who overly, who, who is signing the checks selectively gets involved in things. I think that just creates in people attention I think it creates an apprehension from people being able to go with what their gut tells them to do is in the best interest. And I think that that's the case with this football team. I think, to be fair to Chris Ballard, at times he probably is overlooking his shoulder because he's thinking, gosh, is this going to be the right move? If this is the wrong move, is the owner going to come in and usurp me? Is he going to bring somebody else in? Is he going to fire somebody without asking me? The best time in this franchise's last 40 years was when that is exactly what took place. When you had somebody in, when it was no question amongst everybody in the building where the buck stopped. And that's what they need to do. They need to get back to the place where everyone knows that the person making the decisions is the final decision to be made and that then the chips will fall as they may, but there's not going to be any interruption of those decisions until they organically play out. A lot of people say this, and this is a common thing from NFL folks in terms of drafting, is you let the board speak to you. You let the board tell you what you need to draft. And to me, if you're the Colts sitting where you're sitting right now, you've got to get up there and get one of those two quarterbacks. I mean, you just absolutely have to do that. And that's, to me, it's more of your team and certainly your offense telling you what you need to do. I don't care what the board says on the draft. I just care about what your team is telling you, and that's what needs to be done. Now, again, it's going to take a lot, and as I sit here, I know it's easier said than done. I'm making it sound really easy, and it's absolutely not, but that's just a have-to. For me, that is a have-to in this spring draft. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, the time has come, right? I mean, Chris Ballard has managed to avoid – like I said, you know, drafting a quarterback for Chris Ballard is college algebra to me. I held it off. I staved it. I staved it. I staved it until I could not delay it any longer. And I had to get it done if I wanted to, to move forward and finishing my degree. And the same thing is true of drafting a quarterback. He held it off for as long as possible. The time is now. The time is here. What's interesting to me now with today's news, and I know that people probably thought it wasn't news that affected the Colts much, But with Arizona parting ways with Cliff Kingsbury, what does that mean in terms of the new coach or the direction of what they want to do with Kyler Murray? I know that he's signed to a huge extension, but do they want to maybe move on from him? You know, he was kind of attached with Kingsbury at the hip. Does that mean now that Arizona 
is going to completely turn the page, start over from scratch. And if that's the case, are they one of those teams that enters into the quarterback sweepstakes? You know, to me, that's relevant as well. Where, where, for the Colts, it's going to come down to, do they have a definitive guy that is their can't miss? That's the guy. And he is head and shoulders above everybody else, whether that be Levis, whether it be Stroud, whether it be young, you know, whether it be the kid from Florida, or are they happy with, you know what? We'll stay where we are and take whichever of those is still available. Those are decisions they're going to have to to determine. But if they, the days of dilly dally are over with, man. If there's a guy out there, John, that they think is their quarterback, they got to go get him. They got to do what they they can to get him. And if that means sacrificing some of their coveted draft capital, then you got to do it. I mean that they have, they don't have the luxury if. If there's a guy that they feel is their quarterback, they don't have the luxury of sitting around and letting the chips kind of fall their way. they got to go get it because they've screwed around and waited long enough on this, and, and you see where it got them, right? You're right back yeah, to square it, one. And you have to, you have to have somebody. Yeah, you have to have somebody at this point, too, I would think. Because people ask me all the time, and I'm sure you get asked the same thing. Well, you know, what about you know Derek Carr? And all, I mean, and no more of that. I mean, this is one where totally you are high enough up in the draft to where if you got to get higher, you just got to go out and do it. And certainly by now, you would have somebody hard targeted that uh, essentially not 100% by any stretch because you still have the combine and you know pro days and all that crap. But somebody that you really like more than you like anybody else. And I mean, hell, maybe it's not one of the two guys at the top of the list. You know, maybe it's Levis, a person that I dismiss. Maybe Agreed. it's even lower than that. But uh, hopefully by now you have somebody in mind that you believe long-term can be that solution because there's no more mandating this thing over. you got to go out and you got to find that in this draft. The only way that I would accept them not taking a quarterback in the first round is if they can trade back or if, if they can draft – say a stud receiver or something like that for and and they target and they believe that hooker out of Tennessee coming off injuries a first round talent and then get him in round two. But that's a risk, man. And I, I think I just think that they have spent their risk card. They just have. I you know I, I mean I can accept that scenario that I just laid out, but but it wouldn't be my preference because this this fan base has been too patient, man. We, you know, they were too patient with the Carson Wentz gamble. They were too pa- – Phillip Rivers was a nice player, but everybody knew he wasn't going to be here long. They were too patient with Matt Ryan and then allowing that to suddenly be, you know, jerking of the wheel over to Sam Ellinger and then back to Foles and back to Ryan. People have been too patient, man. The days of – as we've talked about a million times, those those days of the early 90s of Craig Walsh to Chris Chandler to Gary Hogaboom to Don Mikowski, I just the, the constant rotation – People are over it, and the time is now. So, Jake Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m., Monday through Friday here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, away from that for a moment, I, I, I mentioned, too, IU with that loss at home yesterday to Northwestern. And, you know, Mike Woodson saying afterwards regarding the question about his defense or lack thereof with his team suggested that, hey, here's the answer. You know, you got two guys that are sitting on the bench that aren't playing, alluding to Xavier Johnson and DeRace Thompson. And I can't think of anything for the rest of that team that's not playing defense well, anything worse or a, a, a worse message you could send to them right now. And hopefully it's different. When you're with your team and you're in practice 
and it's a private situation, but that in public is, to me, not at all what you want the rest of that team to either hear or certainly digest the way they're playing. It's the worst possible answer, and if I was an Indiana fan, I'd be livid over it. I'd be livid. I mean, you got, as I mentioned earlier, look, you got Indiana fans doing backflips with every single kid that commits, and this guy's going to be the program changer, and this is the top 40 player, and Peague says this guy's going to be great, and and on and on and on. Not Peague, I mean the message boards, not not Jeff. And on and on and on, right? And so you've got all these players. I mean, and then two guys go down, and suddenly that – they're supposed to be the only one that play defense. What the hell is the rest of the ro- – what are they doing with the rest of the roster during practice in October and November? That is an inexcusable answer, inexcusable. I don't dispute that Ray Thompson is a key part of what they want to do. And Xavier Johnson's a very good player. And those are tough losses. But you know what? There's a reason you recruited Malik Renault. There's a reason you recruited Tamar Bates. There's a reason that you recruited, you know, Trey Galloway. Use them. Right? I mean, use them. Like, what, what are you doing here? You know, I mean, coach them up. Teach them defense. Do whatever you have to. You've got 12 men on a roster for a reason. Attrition is a part of the game. I'm sorry. But key teams have injuries all of the time. And great coaches find ways to overcome it. And teams find ways to overcome it. And to bring up a guy that hasn't played in a couple of games now, and that's the reason your defense went south, what are you doing? Come up with a different scheme. Do something. Offset it. Even if that's the issue, you let fans and writers point that out. You don't necessarily, as a coach, do so. I thought it was a terrible answer, and I think that they once again, Indiana's season, hard to say. I mean, I realize it's kind of absurd because it's not like all of a sudden they're at 500. But you lose at home to Northwestern in a game that theoretically you weren't even in for the vast majority of it, and you're going to tell me that's because two guys are hurt? Come on, man. And 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 those aren't even your your two best players are on the floor, period. Your two best players on your roster are on the floor. I'm sorry, you're making too much money as a head coach to lobby that BS out there, and it's an insult to your fans to expect them to accept it. I don't, uh, and to me, I, I I don't even so much care about what what the fans take into this as much as I would about my team. That's why well, I mentioned. That you know, no, hopefully, no, that message is drastically different in a locker room and privately because I, I wouldn't want these guys thinking, well, you know what, we're kind of screwed defensively because these two guys are out of here. That's, yeah, that's or, not a strong message whatsoever from your head coach. Totally. I mean, you're thinking like, well, hell, we just got a free pass. I don't have to play defense the rest of the year. Our, our coach says that it's just these other two guys, so we're good. I just, I mean, I, I – I was bewildered by that. I heard that this morning, and I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, we played it. Mark Dykton played that bite, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that's what he said. But that's where they are. Jake Query is with us. Before I let you go, Pacers beat the Hornets yesterday. They get the Knicks in New York coming up on Wednesday evening. Uh, And certainly they have been one of the bigger surprises, and it'd be an even bigger surprise if if it wasn't Indiana and the Pacers in the NBA, throughout the NBA landscape. But it's been a a surprise to us uh, and certainly to those that run the team, you know, whether it's Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, or even head coach Rick Carlisle, because I think you guys were told the same thing that I was from Rick Carlisle, that, hey, this is going to take a little bit it hasn't is this is something at some point right now where you should embrace and move forward and 
try to get something significantly done this year? Or I guess what I should ask you is how much might you be changing the blueprint for this team as they continue to win? Boy, I'll tell you what. I was watching yesterday. I went to the game. And I'm watching the last, you know, half of the fourth quarter. And it was a close game, probably closer than it should have been against the Hornets, in particular a Hornets game where LaMelo Ball has 13 and fouls out. But you're going to have it. And so I'm watching it. And and this is becoming a pattern where late in the game, when the game is in the balance, Andrew Nimhard is on the floor. Aaron Neesmith is on the floor. Tyrese Halliburton is on the floor. Benedict Matherin is on the floor. They're all four under the age of, I, I think, 24, if not 23. And then you add Miles Turner and Buddy Heald into that mix of players. And you've got a core there, John, that I'll be honest, and, and Miles Turner is a key cog. And, yes, they absolutely need to do what they can to re-sign him and retain him because – this group is just playing extremely well. And you add a couple of, of young players via the draft, and then you throw in Jalen Smith into the equation. And, you know, we haven't mentioned Chris Duarte, who's obviously, you know, a little bit older, but, but a good player and young in his NBA career. They've got, at this point, maybe I'm naive. At this point, I am perfectly content with, you know what, this is our core moving forward, and now we add pieces to it via the draft. And, and I would, I'm willing to push that in and, and give it three or four years and see what happens. I know that there are contracts there. you got to figure some things out. But if Turner and Heald want to be here, and I think they probably do, I know that they are valuable pieces that other teams are going to throw money at. But if you can retain them with this particular core and give them a year or two to play together, I think you could be looking at a team that is absolutely contending for the East sooner than later, I mean, within two years probably. Do you think that Buchanan and, and Pritchard – Ideally, at the beginning of the season, had any designs on keeping Miles Turner at all? I mean, I do. you think it was a foregone conclusion as they started that he was going to be gone compared to where they are right now, thinking that he's been so important that he needs to stay? No, I think that they were very optimistic at the beginning of the year and very intrigued as to how Tyrese Halliburton was going to impact his game. And I think that they were very aware that Miles Turner, and this is not a knock on Sabonis at all. I mean, I, but I think they were very, I think they did a lot of different, I think they looked at a lot of different plays and stretches of when he was on the floor when, when Sabonis, when they were together, was not. And the way that, and then they factored in with this particular group of players. Um, I think they were very intrigued and they were very, satisfied with the possibility of working him with Halliburton and I think they entered the year very open-minded to that and I think that that patience and optimism is paying off well it's um it's been fun to watch that evolution with him and and Halliburton playing together but I mean there are so many important pieces of this and it seems like that that these guys have staked their claim to, you know, close or with Halliburton or, you know, close on the defensive end with Miles and Miles. I mean, hell closed on both ends yesterday against the Hornets. A shot making from distance from Buddy Heel. You know, Matherin's kind of that wild card 
when he comes in and either, you know, getting to the rim or, you know, doing what he does offensively off the bench. It just seems like they have a lot of pieces that you know, normally leads to a high level of success no matter what age of your NBA team might be. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I I'm not going to say that I know they did, but I strongly suspect they did. I think what they did with Miles Turner is they went back and they looked at the moments when Miles Turner was not in games or was not on the floor and Sabonis was at the percentage, the the average number of players per set that touched the ball in a half-court set when Sabonis was on the floor versus the number that did when Turner was on the floor and Sabonis was not. And they realized that when Turner was on the floor, there was a, a greater rotation and, and movement of the basketball. Understandably, because Sabonis is a very high level and efficient low push scored. I, this is not a knock on Sabonis at all. But once they, once they saw the, those numbers, then they realized that if they wanted to pay, play a more offensive, free-flowing offense, that Turner was the one that more facilitated that than Sabonis. So then they said, what players in a half-court set best facilitate for the ball to move around quickly? And I think that's part of why Halliburton was targeted in the trade for Sabonis. Buddy Hill was a bonus, and he's been a great, an, an unbelievable bonus. But they knew with Turner here, based on, if you want to call it the cybermetrics or the, the, the in-depth analysis of half-court sets, they knew that with Miles Turner, it was facilitating for better ball rotation and movement around the offense. So then they intentionally put him on the floor with players that can move the ball around quickly, all of which have the ability to score in an open look. And that's why I think they, they were optimistic about Turner being part of the piece beyond just this year. Hey, I got to run really quick here, but do you think Miles and his reps are also thinking about how, in terms of his fit with this team, is it going to be any better anyplace else? I'm not suggesting he'd go someplace else and fail, but considering what it has been so far in less than half of the season, do you think they consider, you know, maybe if you go someplace else, that fit because there's no Halliburton with you might not be nearly the same? I think they absolutely think that, or let me rephrase, I think they absolutely are open to that line of thought and also are absolutely aware of the fact that jumping at that right away is not going to make them the most amount of money. So you play a little cat and mouse with it and see how much you can milk out of the Pacers to get them to sign. So, Jake Query, what are you and Kevin going to talk about? More of this? A little 10.30 a.m.? That's after you guys are off. Kevin's going to have to sprint. He's going to have to sprint over there and cover that bad boy tomorrow morning. Uh, Kevin will be over there tomorrow, I guarantee it, to cover Ballard. Joel A. Erickson is going to join us from the start to talk about the Colts and anticipate the Ballard press conference. And then Tony East will join us to talk more on this Pacers topic as well. All right, buddy. I appreciate you. Be listening coming up tomorrow morning, man.